I gotta stop you right there. If you didn't know yet, recently the recap show has launched, and you're probably asking what the recap show is. In the modern internet era, there's a lot of misinformation going around, and you need someone to help figure out whether it's cap or no cap. Hence the name recap. So, make sure to check it out. In other news, welcome to another THRP podcast episode, and for this episode, we've invited Mark Ryle, who somewhat recently published his own book called Age Decoded, a speculative fiction looking at the possibilities of genetic engineering. Make sure to check out his book in the bio, and hope you enjoy the episode. So thank you for coming on to the podcast. I do appreciate you giving the time and coming on. Thank you, Yosef. I'm glad to be on your show, THRP Podcast. So first off, um, I got asked, what is genetic engineering? Well, it's it's a technique that can be used by scientists to um, change, edit, let's say, your uh, human um, genetic code. It can also be used for other living beings, um, such as mosquitoes or whales. And so it basically is used to um, go in microscopically and change the uh, DNA, the genetic code of, uh, of a living organism. Interesting. And I did a bit of research earlier on and genetic engineering is relatively new it's well we've been doing it uh, sort of indirectly like for example with crops and plants and animals we've been selectively breeding them and sort of changing their genetic makeup so that like even dogs uh, the way they create species um, types of dogs and whatnot um, they we have been controlling the genes but it's a very slow process and of course natural selection um, in our environment um, as people die and, and as living beings die and then pass on their genes and then there's selection of genes and whatnot. That's, that has created some change in the genetic makeup. But no, yeah, you're right. Genetic engineering itself, where a scientist or a doctor goes in and targets um, genes, DNA, and changes them very quickly uh, and precisely, that is fairly new. Um, the technology in my book is uh, the CRISPR technology, which has been around for about 15 years, but only about two years ago, they awarded the Nobel Prize for that technology to, um, to two female scientists, Bravo, uh, Jennifer Dudna, and uh, Emmanuel Charpentier. They won, uh, they won it for uh, not perfecting, but really improving the CRISPR genetic engineering technology. <clears throat> Interesting. And just out of curiosity, so I could paint a bit of a picture for the audience genetic engineering originally is it really has there been any a lot of major advances in towards the genetics of humans so far yeah so using genetic engineering yeah yeah for sure so there's a lot happening just now uh yusuf so i'm i'm reading about things every week that are happening um i can give you a couple examples um Mosquitoes carry um, deadly diseases for humans, like malaria and dengue and yellow fever. So they've uh, genetic en- they've genetically engineered mosquitoes. They did this in um, Imperial College, London, and also UC Irvine in California. 
So they put, they've genetically changed these mosquitoes so they can't carry those horrible diseases. And then they've input those mosquitoes into the environment. So they just did it in the Florida Keys down off Florida. They put these new mosquitoes in that don't hurt people and they're going to drive out the bad mosquitoes. So that's, that's a pretty concrete example of using genetic engineering to help people, but indirectly through mosquitoes. Um, I guess another example would be um, uh, there's a rare disease. Uh, it's a brain disease that affects very young children called Canavan's disease. Uh, and it, um, it's a horrible affliction. So uh, they, the scientists in Ohio are driving in uh, a virus that carries a genetic code that alters their genetic makeup and should hopefully help them with that disease. There's all sorts of other diseases that are on the horizon. You've probably heard of things like cystic fibrosis, uh, Alzheimer's disease, uh, HIV, um, Huntington's disease. All of these are horrible afflictions and there, there probably will be um, a genetic solution to these coming up very soon. Um, it's very exciting actually. It's gonna help a lot of people. And just out of curiosity because Earlier on, that you um before we started recording, you mentioned that you were a high school teacher before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what made you get into genetic engineering? Yeah. So I taught uh, physiology and biomechanics. I, I did teach those at university too, and then in high school, I taught primarily economics and mathematics. I love teaching. Uh, but how did I get into this? A lot of people ask that because you know, I'm not a genomicist. I'm not a genetic scientist. Uh, I do have a bachelor of scientist in sub-science, but it was a long time ago, Yusuf, before you were even born. I was in 1984, I got my bachelor of science. So it's not worth much right now, right? So I started studying this because I'm a, I'm a triathlon and I'm an athlete. So I, 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 uh, I, ran, I, I represented Canada in the World Triathlon Championships. Um, so I'm a pretty serious athlete. I'm in the age group, uh, I don't compete against the really young guys, I compete against guys about my age. So I'm in the 60 to 65 year old age group for Canada. And when I was there, I noticed that people who were 65 or 64 uh, would say to the ones who are 60 or 61, you have a big advantage over me. And I thought, whoa, how can they tell like three or four years, especially when you're that old, you think it wouldn't matter, but it actually does matter each year. You know, as you get older, you get a bit slower. Even if you're in tip-top shape, you're, you run a little bit slower. Your biking's not quite as fast, et cetera. So you do feel it. And uh, every year, the um, that's things like um, physiological things like oxygen capacity goes down about almost 1% when you're that old. It actually declines fairly quickly. So I, I sort of became interested in aging and performance and all that. And um, so I started reading about it. And I discovered that there's very serious genetic engineering um, research going on. Uh, remember, I mentioned those other diseases like cystic fibrosis, Alzheimer's. Well, there's very serious researchers who are looking at using genetic engineering to try to stop aging and maybe even reverse it. So that was sort of fascinating. Imagine, I, I thought, well, not even just for triathlon, for the entire world, wouldn't that be crazy? Like, what would it be like? Uh, what a profound change that would be if people my age would then start getting younger or at least stop getting older. And I just couldn't wrap my mind around this. So I started writing a science fiction novel. I thought I got to write about this, and just try to picture this future. So my novel is about uh, that future world of going out, going forward about 200 years and trying to just trying to imagine uh, the effects of that. Yeah. Um, I would, whenever someone says science fiction to me, I would always like to point out some um, novels that was created during like the late 
20th century after um, landing on the moon where Neil Armstrong was said his iconic quotes when uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And since then, there have been a lot and lots of space themed movies, books, novels. Yes, I remember one was called 2001, if I'm not yeah. correct. 2001, The Space Odyssey, a classic. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you off. Uh, yeah. That's fine. Uh, well, yeah, you're right. Uh, now, my it, my science fiction is not really about space or other planets and whatnot or aliens. Mine is what's called hard science fiction or, or speculative science fiction. I'm literally trying to predict the future. I, my novel starts about uh, 2053 when the Nobel Prize is awarded for solving aging using genetic engineering. My heroine is Frida, Dr. Frida uh, Sangmiller. Who, uh, who discovers a way to stop aging using genetic engineering. And I think actually this is going to happen. Um, it may be, it may not be in 30 years like my novel. It might be 100 years or 50 years, maybe in your lifetime, probably not in my lifetime. Uh, but uh, I do think they're, they're going to target that. And there are a lot of really good researchers from Harvard University, UCLA, uh, uh, Kyoto University, Japan, who are looking at this, studying this very seriously right now. So um, mine's not outer space. It's not way out there. It's more like, okay, this is what I really think could happen. And I focus on the aging thing, but I also bring in some other variables because genetic engineering can be used to solve, to change so many things, right? Including behavior. And um, one of my, one of the factors in my novel is a psychological uh, thing that has also changed. Um, yeah. Would you like to get into that a bit more or? Sure. And I won't give away too much about that because that's, okay. that's sort of a hook, but um, it involves, um, well, Jennifer Duna, who won the Nobel Prize two years ago, said genetic engineering, CRISPR technology can be used not just for physical things, but also for psychological things. She admitted that because if you think of things like creativity, intelligence, um, those are often in, inherited from, from our parents, right? And so there's genetic makeup, even some diseases like schizophrenia and uh, afflictions like depression are there is a genetic connection there so obviously your genes and your dna have something to do with that so in my novel i thought i've got to bring in something i, I wanted a physical thing so that was the aging but i also wanted a, a psychological thing so i brought in a variable called the um i call it the propensity to dissent it's basically your ability to criticize uh fiercely you know critical thinking um so in my novel um unbeknownst to the people who get age decoded, who's, who have their aging stop, which they like, at the same time, while that's being done to them, there's a bit of a psychological manipulation that's going to sort of dampen their critical facilities. They can still think, but they they certainly can't think as critically. Like, for example, they can't criticize the government or or they can't, you know, they're, they're just not as uh, dissenting. It's called the propensity to dissent. Um, yeah, so that's, and I, that I mean, that's the uh, that's the negative, and as with any technology, there can be a positive, lots of positives, but you have to watch out for certain things too, right? Yeah. And I was about to go in towards that in terms of genetic engineering. How do you make sure that whatever is going to be created in the foreseeable future 
is going to be mo mostly po um, positive and very direct to be very clear that this is what impacts it has on you. Would you yeah. um, give your opinions on that, please? That's a that's a great question, Yusuf. That's the that's the key question. So. Um, as I said, genetic engineering has huge potential, but as with any technology, let's, let's look at, for example, nuclear technology. Um, nuclear has done many great things for society. Um, for example, here in Ontario, Canada, we have um, a lot of our electricity comes from nuclear production. I think about 50% of it, actually, and a lot of the rest of it is hydroelectric. So we're a very green jurisdiction. We don't produce a lot of carbon when we produce electricity. We're one of the tops in the world, if not the top jurisdiction. Right? There's very few that are better. Um, so nuclear has done great things, but we've seen the nuclear bomb has been used a couple of times in the World War II. Um, we've had a lot of headache with uh, worrying about who has nuclear weapons and the money there that is spent on nuclear weapons. We've had treaties that have been designed, like there's the, I think it was the 1967 treaty on the um, proliferation of nuclear weapons. Most a lot of nations sign that, but um, unfortunately, a lot of nuclear nations like um, uh, Pakistan, India, uh, North Korea, and Israel did not sign it, and they have nuclear weapons, so they haven't agreed to that, and that was 50 years ago. Uh, now, even this year, we had a, there was a sort of a bright light, there was a new treaty on, uh, a new treaty that came forward, it's called on the prohibition of nuclear weapons, which means let's get rid of nuclear weapons, and about 50, I think 51 nations signed it, but none of the nations that have nuclear weapons signed it, <laughs> so... It's all the nations that didn't have the one. So, you know, we still have a long way to go, but there we've done a pretty good job. The Nuclear Suppliers Agency, which is a worldwide uh, agency, has done a pretty good job of tracking uh, nuclear technology and also the atomic, uh, the uh, World Atomic a a Energy Agency has um, done a pretty good job. And also countries have negotiated treaties and all that, but it's very tricky. That technology has taken, a, has been a major headache uh, but has done good things. Same as I think the same is going to happen with genetic engineering. Uh, we've already had international summits and statements about how to use it and how to not to use it and what to watch out for and about bioterrorism that might might come out of it. And um, <clears throat> these are very important. I think young people like you, um, even like people even who are non-scientists, not politicians, everybody really, politicians, scientists, but everybody else, business people, young people like you, um, just normal people need to get involved and, and be involved in um, trying to control and make sure that we harness this great new technology in positive ways for humanity. I want to briefly talk on one topic which I have remembered what's a really hard topic um, a, a long time ago and still is regularly talked upon a lot and that's GMOs on which have been is have been genetic engineering on food which caused some people to have some sort of suspicion towards GMOs and some sort of um, yeah fear which therefore led to a huge organic side of foods. Um, I'd love to have some of your opinions on this topic. Yeah, so I'm, I'm on the nutrition side, on that side, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know a lot. You probably know more than I do, but I would just say that 
a lot of our food has been genetically modified, even if it's slowly, like, for example, corn. Corn didn't even exist until it was slowly modified over centuries. Um, and we or people are quite happy to eat corn now. Um, you know, we have to be careful, right? Anything that gets into the gene pool and that we alter, uh, we need to test and make sure it's safe for people. Um, and that's actually... Um, it is an issue and I can see why people uh, would have some concern for that. Um, <clears throat> if you go, if you take it the next step to humans, even genetically modifying humans, if it gets into our gene pool, like so that when we reproduce, whatever we do to the genes is transferred to the next generation, that's just as much an issue too. Um, so I'm going to sort of leave that one. I'm going to, I'm going to sort of pass on that one because I'm not um, too much up on what's your opinion on it. What do you, what do you think? Do you, do you have a, a strong uh, uh, view on that one? Um, I remember like back before COVID that like whenever you go to like some places in like in Europe, there was always like lots of shops where they would sell totally organic foods. And right. it was very interesting but also the downside on that, that would raise their business costs because they would spoil easier and faster. So another thing that I'd also um, try and move on to was, which you mentioned before in this episode, is uh, your passion of triathletes, athletes, and how do you get into it? It's Yeah, I started in high school. I started... Um about i think i think i know how old you are so about your age i started running for the uh, cross country team and, and they uh, i enjoyed it it was a little different than other sports because it's it's a lot of pain when you're out there <laughs> actually racing whereas other sports is you know so chasing a soccer ball or something like that is a little more um glory and pleasure i think but uh, i really enjoyed the grueling part of it and the training and uh so i started and then I, but i you know it was, it was sort of sad because when i became an adult and started working full-time i actually stopped running uh when i was in my late 20s i did run some marathons and all that on my own but then um believe it or not yusuf when i was um almost 50 years old my daughter who was then uh eight years old wanted to start running i don't know where she got this urge from i never told her i used to run and my wife uh didn't say anything to her but she just said i want to run around the block and time myself and i'm like why would you want to do that but i thought oh maybe it's in your genes right <laughs> so she uh off she went and then the next time i had to go with her because she was going further and you can't let an eight-year-old just run all over the neighborhood on on her own so i put on my sneakers found some sneakers and i sort of got back into running jogging at least with her and then I got into triathlonning. So because of my daughter actually got into this back into it and traveling, I got into it because um, running is more of a just pounding your legs a lot. And it's pretty, when you're older, it's sort of one dimensional. It's sort of, um, it can be hard on your joints and all that. So triathlon was great because you're doing some swimming where you're floating, literally floating. And that was a really nice change. And then the running, uh, the cycling too, you're all, I always feel like I'm flying when I'm cycling because there's no pounding at all and you can go for hours with no stiffness. So uh, that was good for me as an older person, but all because of my daughter, she took that first step, which was my first step. Um, and I really love uh, watching her run and she still competes. She's now in university running competitive uh, cross country. Yeah. Wow, that's a very fascinating story. Um, Thank you. So just to clarify one thing, did you do triathlon running thing stuff in when you were around like um, in high school? 
No. So triathloning, I only did running cross country and a bit of track. I only started triathloning when I was in my uh, mid fifties, really. Oh, okay. Interesting. So going in towards in your high school, what made you choose running instead of other sports? Was it, it was because of the, um, as you mentioned, the grueling part of it, is that correct? Yeah, the, it was very challenging. Well, I was a good runner. I mean, I remember in grade nine and grade 10, the teachers, the gym teachers say, Ryle, get out, get on the cross country team. You're fast. Right. And I, I actually frustrated them because I would win the school uh, run and I wasn't even on the cross country team. Cross country team. So they were really upset with me because I was, I looked like I was lazy, which I probably was, but uh, in grade 11, uh, without anybody else, I think they gave up on me by then. I, I sort of went to the cross country meeting and I heard the uh, teacher telling this young boy to another boy, he said, take him on the trail and work him on the hills there and see how he, ha-. and I thought that's sort of cool. You know, this guy's going to work this, help this other kid learn how to run and push him hard. And I, I was listening in and I thought, okay, maybe I'll try this. And that's when I joined, uh, finally joined. And I never looked, never looked back then after that. I've got to ask now, were you, in your opinion, the best runner in the team? Yes, I was. Yeah. Now, uh, when I was in grade 12, the next year, I was pretty fast. I did well. I, I finished uh, second in the Toronto championship. That was pretty good. Um, but there was a kid who came in in grade nine, and I looked at him, and he looked a little, little runt with glasses on, not uh, maybe 80 pounds to him. And he was he was almost as fast as I was. And I thought, who is this guy? You know? And so I, and he finished, uh, I think he also finished second in Toronto in his midget division. I was in the senior division. So I watched this guy and he turned out to be, his name was Jamie Stafford. And he went on to become, um, uh, to go to the world cross country championships. He won the Canadian cross country champion. He had a great career. And, um, and now his daughter is running. Um, I don't know if it's tomorrow or in a couple of days for Canada in the Olympics. Um, Gabriella Stafford will be running in the uh, 1500 meters. You might want to watch that race. Gabriella Stafford. She's pretty fast. Um, yeah. So it's funny how history uh, unravels, you know, evolves. I don't know, but yeah. Did you ever get a chance to run against him or? No, we just trained together. No, because I was in grade 13 when he was in grade nine, back then they had grade 13. So I was four years older. So thankfully I didn't have to run against him. But, uh... (laughs) um, so just to clarify the way the race that Gabriel is going to be running in the Tokyo Olympics is going to be on the 26th or 7th. Okay. I, it's the 1500 meter women. So whenever it's going to be in a couple they have qualifiers, right? So she has to go through these heats. Like I think there's two or three things she has to go through. So watch for her. I think the heats will probably start fairly soon, probably a day or two. I don't know the schedule though, but yeah. So if it does, um, happen before this episode goes live which is going to be around thursday i'll make sure to pause and say um, how well she did <laughs> i kept on delaying this episode because i wanted to see how far she would get she came fifth in the final race which just concluded a few hours ago oh great yeah yeah so yeah i'm gonna start wrap, wrapping it up um thank you for coming on to the podcast i do appreciate you giving the time is there any final concluding thoughts or messages you want to leave? 
well, I, I assume you'll provide a link to my book, which yes. is called Age. It's called Age Decoded for people out there. There's a hyphen in there, Age Hyphen Decoded. And that's the science fiction novel about the future. Um, I just want to say thank you for uh, hosting me. And I think it's absolutely wonderful that someone of your relatively young age, compared to me especially, uh, is, uh, is, is uh, reaching out and doing this. And uh, you, you learn a lot from this and your listeners learn a lot. And I, I learn a lot too. Um, doing this so um congratulations on your podcast and uh, keep up the fine work thank you okay thank you thanks so make sure to check out our socials so that's uh, the tiktok the youtube the insta and make sure to check out um h decoded his book which will be in the bio of this um episode so yeah hope you enjoyed